what is greatness? What is it to be the greatest at something? We can all certainly think about greatness of sports heroes. I remember back in July of 2004 when I was in, my partner Bill and I were in Paris, and we watched the day that the uh, Tour de France, the bicycle race, arrived back in Paris. And it's absolutely fascinating to watch, and we thought we were watching the greatest cyclist of all time. And about a year later, Lance Armstrong's title was, and all of his titles were removed from him for doping. Giants fans probably remember watching, and I don't remember what the year was now, when Barry Bonds broke the all-time record for home runs. The greatest! And what happened to that sports hero? Maybe greatness has something to do with your financial well-being. We certainly have seen people like Warren Buffett and uh, Bill Gates, uh, Jeff Bezos, all of those names who have made billions of dollars and in many cases have gone on to do great things with their money. Whoever claims to be the greatest, who claims to be the greatest, probably is not the greatest. Whoever claims to be the greatest may actually be the worst. It's all a matter of perspective. The one whose ego is so big that they cannot see the failure in their logic or their actions is destined for disaster. For century upon century, this is not a new thing, for century upon century, the world has been filled with crazies who have claimed that they will solve all the world's problems. Only I can make things better. I am greater than anyone else who has come before. And I'm not just speaking of a certain political person, um, because he's not the only one. There have been many others throughout history who have claimed to be the greatest at something. And then reality strikes, and people realize that one we followed is not the greatest. Here I come to save the day. Some of you are old enough to remember that, I think, was the Mighty Mouse theme. Or, oh, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. We have hero stories. Every one of our hero stories has someone coming who is greater than I. Our hero stories throughout history, not just television heroes, comic book heroes, but throughout history, our hero stories are about people who are the greatest 
but they come to save humankind from a disaster. Every one of our fairy tales, the prince comes to save the damsel in distress. And now, luckily, with newer fairy tale versions, we even have the princess coming to save somebody in distress. But every one of those stories, the prince, charming, comes to save someone who is in a disastrous situation. And they risk a lot. Now, we could have the Prince Charming in Snow White arrive and seeing those seven dwarfs sitting there crying over the, the coffin of Snow White, just Prince Charming tossing out some boxes of tissues and dry your tears and everything will be okay. I don't know if you got my reference there to uh, tossing out paper towels to the people in. And after all, it's only one person who died. But the Prince Charming, in love, wakes up Snow White. Or the fairy tale of Sleeping Beauty. That Prince Charming actually has to go through all these briars and, and thorn bushes to get to Snow White. Or to Sleeping Beauty, sorry. Those who are the greatest are the ones who risk the most. In our hero stories, each case, the one who is coming to saves becomes the helper, becomes the servant of others. So, today's gospel. Jesus hears his disciples arguing while they're traveling down the road. He waits and he listens. He doesn't say anything at the moment, but he hears them arguing. And I'm sure the disciples were not that naive to not know that he's hearing what's going on or what they're saying. But he waits until they get to the nearest town to Capernaum, which uh, when it says that until they, they got into the house, uh, it seems that many of the gospel stories, they stayed in Capernaum as kind of a center of their, the center of their ministry as they, their outreach. And they get into the house, and then Jesus says to the disciples, oh, by the way, what were you arguing about? And they're silent. They don't want to say. They don't want to say that they were arguing about who was the best, who was the greatest amongst them. They were really embarrassed, probably. Jesus knew they had been arguing. He also most likely knew what they were arguing about because, after all, as they were walking down the road, there were only 13 of them. And unless they were stretched so far apart on the road that they didn't hear each other, or Jesus was so far out and ahead, he knew what they were arguing about. And he puts them on the spot. I have a feeling the greatest arguers were Peter, James, and John. 
because just a day or two before, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the top of this mountain. And that's the transfiguration story. Now, for some reason, the the people that chose the, the readings for the lectionary over in all of the mainline denominations, we had the end of chapter 8 last week, Peter's confession, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And we skip over chap- the beginning of chapter 9, which is the transfiguration story. Mainly in our liturgical tradition, we put transfiguration just before the beginning of Lent. In the Catholic tradition, uh, it is the second Sunday of Lent. So we've skipped over that story. But Jesus takes, of the twelve, Peter, James, and John, hey, hey, you guys, come with me. Um, They go up to the top of the mountain, and this strange event of Jesus being transfigured before them. And afterwards, Jesus says, well, kind of don't tell anybody. They come back down. I have a feeling the other nine were wondering what in the world was going on up there. And then there's a healing of a a demon-possessed boy, and we get to this story. It's the same in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, I have a feeling, well, if he chose us, Peter, James, and John are saying, we must be the better of the rest of the other guys. Hey, we're, we're, we're the in crowd. And, well, no, I'm better. Uh, I'm sure Peter was the first one to say that, and because he's the big mouth, it seems, throughout the gospel accounts. Um, but I have a feeling James and John were right there alongside saying, no, I'm better than you, or, and they were brothers. And remember, it's the mother of James and John who in one of the other accounts comes to Jesus and says, oh, Jesus, by the way, can you grant that both of my two sons, James and John, will sit on your right hand and on your left hand when you come into your kingdom? So hey, we got a choice place. And I have a feeling the rest of the disciples, being a little jealous, got into the argument as well. And so Jesus does not chastise them. He puts a very young child in their midst. The word used here actually refers to an infant. It's not even a child as old as any of our children here. An infant that he holds in his arms and says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Whoever welcomes one such little child welcomes me and welcomes the one who sent me. Greatness is found in serving Greatness is found in the complete innocence of the child. Now, we all know that children are not innocent. If you've been a parent, or for myself as a school teacher, I know children are not innocent. But they learn very well. 
children become corrupted because of us. Perhaps it is because they have seen and learned their their corruption from us. Isn't it that we adults are the ones who argue about who is the greatest? Isn't it we adults who get angry and cut each other off in traffic or in the grocery store line? I am just as guilty of it. Not so much in traffic because I only drive a car when I rent one, but um, in Safeway lines, if I'm thinking about other stuff and I'm being frustrated and it's like I just don't look and realize there is somebody there in the line and I cut and and then I usually, if I notice, I apologize and go to the end of the line. But our impatience with our fellow human beings and children see that. I think the worst thing about our government situation is not the people in charge. It is how everybody within our political system is attacking everyone else. Children see it. Children learn and learn that this is not greatness. We teach our children well at how to become the image of fallen humanity when we should be teaching our children to become the image of God. Notice that in each of our hero stories throughout recorded time, the hero is the one who comes to the rescue. But in each case, it is the hero who comes to help, to serve the one in need, not because of the hero's ego, but because the hero, the savior, knows that we need help. The greatness of the hero is found in service, the love that the hero provides. But all our human stories, our hero stories, are stories of heroes with weaknesses. Every one of our heroes in our stories falls short of divine greatness. I love the Broadway musical Into the Woods. Uh, If any of you have ever seen the film of Into the Woods, Stephen Sondheim is my favorite Broadway composer. Uh, And the story of Into the Woods, Sondheim takes all of the fairy tales, not all of them, but a great deal of many of the fairy tales, and then writes about what happens after happily ever after. And the Prince Charmings in the stories are complete disasters, ego trips for days. Everything falls apart. Our heroes in all our stories are flawed, except for one. When we are faced with the ultimate crises and disasters of life, There is only one who can and does 
come to save. Whether it be a physical crisis we face, a health crisis, or a mental or emotional crisis, or even the ultimate crisis of our last day, we cry out, Lord, come and save us. And there is only one who is greatest, who does and will come to our rescue. We believe that Jesus Christ, God's child, comes and lifts us up in his arms, saving us through no merit of our own, but solely because he loves us and cares for us, whether we know him or not. And even at the very last day of our life, or even at the very last day of all time, at that apocalyptic moment, the Lord Jesus, the greatest servant of all, will call us his children and call us home to be with him forever. The other night, and I wasn't going to add this, but it was so strange that I have to add it. Friday night or early Saturday morning, I had the weirdest dream. It was so realistic, and it was, it was of, I guess, the apocalypse. It was everything was being destroyed. And I would, I would have thought to myself, waking up with this terrorized dream, that I would have been filled with fear. But I remember sitting upright in bed, and all of a sudden, and the first words that I actually spoke them out loud was, Lord, why did you show this to me? But I had no fear, because I knew God takes us in his arms. He holds us. We are his children, and he takes us to himself. I don't know what I had eaten that on Friday night that made me have a weird dream. I certainly had not drunk enough wine to cause that, or has not, was not watching a weird program like that on television, because actually I never would. I don't like those kind of programs. Was not reading anything weird, but it was one of those almost revelatory moments that maybe was placed there in my mind to show me God loves me. God loves you. And no matter what happens, we are in his hands. Lord, let me walk as a humble child of your light. Amen.